benders and non-benders alike. Welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And in case any of you thought that devoting just one Braving the Elements to one of the most popular episodes of Avatar was foolish, rest assured, we're not done talking about Tales of Bossing say quite yet. That's right, my friend. No way. Are you kidding me? Let's go back to how many episodes we devoted to the Cave of Two Lovers. We basically did a whole season on that episode. But I loved it all. We could do it with this one, buddy. You know, and also I would say, especially in this case, because you have each of the vignettes in Tales of Bossing Say, which I almost remember as separate episodes on their own, which I feel like is a hard achievement when you're talking about like just a few minutes, just morsels. And you end up feeling like you ate a whole meal. Come and there's on. actually more vignettes than I thought when That's I rewatched it. That's right. You thought there were. F- I thought there oh, was. You four. thought there were four. Someone else thought there were five. And then someone else forgot that Zuko got his own tail, which is don't make that mistake, anybody ever again, especially not today, right? Exactly. And the stories behind the stories are also very cool. So we decided to bring the writers of two of our favorite tales to Brave the Elements to talk about them. That's right. Today we have. Get ready for it. The writers of The Tale of Zuko, many people's favorite, and The Tale of Iroh, many other people's favorite. So please join us in a heartfelt welcome to Katie Matilla and Andrew Hubner. Hello, friends. Katie, Andrew, welcome. Hello. Hello, hello. It is great to be here. Wonderful to be here. It's a Fire Nation kind of day. It is. It's true. You got your Zuko, you got your Iroh. What else do you I need? Know. I mean, we are in Bossing Say, but it still feels like a Fire Nation kind of day. That's right. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Both of you, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedules to talk with us. Katie, you're working on a yet-to-be-announced show, an animated show um, that you're writing on right now. So thank you for being away. Oh, and, you're welcome. Thank you. Oh, yeah. We're so lucky. And Andrew, what's your? you're still with Nickelodeon, yeah? I am still with Nickelodeon. Now I have a completely different career. I'm a vice president of production, so I oversee oh, wow. a number of the series. But then also uh, the production arm of development and our shorts program and kind of special projects. So, um, yeah, I've been here and it's, it's just been a lot of fun. You're all over so many shows at Nickelodeon. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. And you guys can't see us, but me and Andrew are rocking the same hairdo. Nice little (laughs) guy and tight with the comb over. Looking good, Andrew. Looking good. And Barney and Katie have the bangs rocking. So I don't know what's going on today. Oh, this is synchronicity. This is beautiful, for (laughs) sure. Um, So we know where you are now. Katie, why don't you start? Will you sort of just give us a little snapshot of like where you were and what led you up to? joining the Avatar family and kind of what capacity you originally joined in? Sure. Um, I was uh, temping, which was very exciting. Um, (laughs) And I actually started on Avatar as a PA. I was hired by Andrew. um, And it was my first experience working in animation. And I feel like from the first day, it just felt so special. Like you could just feel it. Like there were so many talented people and everyone was humble. It felt like a family. And I just really loved it. And then, Andrew, what about you? Yeah, so I actually started in live action, independent film and camera and lighting and things like that. But then had a lot of friends working in animation over at Film Roman. So I I went over there and met people and just fell in love with animation and animation culture. So I started working over there and worked on a eventually worked on a show called Mission Hill, where both Mike and Brian were, they were a director AD team. So I met them there and, and they were just wonderful. And then I went on to um, 
to come to Nickelodeon to work for a line producer, Mike and Wong, who I'd worked with there. And she wound up being the line producer on Avatar. And then she brought me on as a production manager. So I was on from the beginning. And I, I would echo what Katie said. It was such a special crew. You could just feel it from the beginning. Yeah. Dave Filoni and John Carlo and the designers. And I mean, everyone was just a superstar. And um, it was just wonderful. It was wonderful. Dante, how much do you love that? Like, I love being able to vigorously nod along when discussions of Mission Hill are happening and you totally. sort of hear all the voices and the names and people that we've had on the podcast all sort of gelling together to form like, oh, we got this Rashomon ex- effect of like all these different people and how they came into our central story of joining the team. I love it. I love hearing the backstory. I love how things are connected and it just reminds me of you know, we're in the, the movie business, the television business, entertainment business, and it is business, but also you start to realize that it's also personal. Like every project is connected to another project. And if you kind of like dig into it, you see that people are bringing their friends along. People, you know, as much as it's business, there's a lot of personal things going on. And I think that mm-hmm. adds to great projects like this. Agreed. And it also helps to be reminded, I think, if you're ever on the outside of a project, that it's not necessarily that like the chips are stacked against you or that it's nepotism or anything like that. It's just if you if any of you think to any job you did that you adored the people that you work with and you had the opportunity to go to a new job and be with those people again, like we all would want to do that. But I think you take it personally when you're on the outside of that or you're trying to break into show business. It's like, don't worry, like Katie was on the outside and then she came inside yeah. and Andrew mm-hmm. was on the outside and came on the inside. You just got to find your people. To all the PAs, mm-hmm. all the PAs <laughs> listening, there is ways to move up. You're yeah. not just going to be stuck in PA hell forever. It's part of the process. Yeah. One of the great things about Nickelodeon is uh, just being a PA. I, I didn't know anything about animation, so I was able to see like what everyone does. And the great thing about Nick is if you work hard and your heart's in it, they'll find a place for you. So like, I just knew these are my people. I don't know what I want to do yet, but I know I want to be here. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Was yeah. it the cereal that's available sometimes in the uh, like break area near the studio? Yes. That did it for you? yes. A lot of cereal. Yes. Love so that cereal. When it's popping, you know we're having so a good popcorn. day. popcorn. <laughs> it makes us happy. You want to ask Andrew about sort of what being a, a production manager at the time was? Yeah, exactly. You explain it. Like, what does that entail for us out here? That yeah, don't so the production manager is kind of like the plumber. You've got to keep uh, <laughs> everything flowing. So it's it's really it's really production. I would do contracts, timesheets, you know, order computer equipment. Um, the master schedule was done by Mike, and, and then I would break that down into you know, more of a daily schedule. I actually did Mike and Brian's schedule. We didn't have an executive assistant. And since I was doing all the scheduling, I would just schedule them. And then working with my team, with the, with the coordinators and, and PAs, you know, just production does so much behind the scenes, you know, design breakdowns and just getting pitches ready and getting animatics ready and uh, shipping overseas. We used to then physically ship uh, artwork yeah. overseas. Now everything yeah. is digital, but that Amazing. was, you know, 2005, 2006. We physically had to ship to Korea. So, you know, those kinds of things, kind of the nuts and bolts. I remember we'd have pickups on uh, like 11 o'clock on Friday nights. That was pretty funny. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And you guys used to send me scripts every week. Oh, sure. There you go. Production's getting mm-hmm. the actors the script. The actor side, you would send a script every week, a hard copy of the script, where we'd kind of go over, highlight, and make lines, which doesn't happen anymore now. It's just emails, and you just kind of come in with an iPad or whatever. But 
I'm like, oh my God, if I knew this show was going to be this important, this amazing, I probably should have kept those scripts instead of just throwing them right into the trash after we were done recording those sessions with all the notes and everything. I was like, ah, didn't, didn't realize that. Collector's items. Yeah, I think production manager and line producer, we talked a little bit about Mikan's job, too, in past episodes. That's like, for me, as and I produce a comedy festival and used to do every single part of that. And I do remember that as being my number one job of waking up in a panic in the middle of the night, worrying, rightly or wrongly, that there was some small element that had been overlooked. Because you really are just looking at the whole arc of the show and the way that it gets made at all. It's really impressive. And I don't want to say you're an unsung hero because on the production side, you are a very sung hero. <laughs> but for those of you listening who think mostly of, you know, sort of what you see in front of you, know that that would be utterly impossible without production managers and line producers and all of the assistants, everybody who goes into getting everything to flow. You're the plumber, but you're also like the electrician, the contractor, <laughs> the architect. There's a lot going on there. And beyond that, you go also into the creative, especially with this yeah. particular episode, which is yes. phenomenal. That's not all line producers or all production managers do not get as creative, especially with a classic episode like this. Yeah, we talked about it last week when we were doing our kind of breakdown of the the episode itself um, and talked about how this episode is also famous because there are people who were working within the Avatar family who didn't have writing credits, who were helming these marvelous tales that end up being people's favorite parts of the show. Could you guys remember, like, what were those conversations like when it became clear that this episode of Vignettes was going to happen and that people were being sought outside of the regular writer's room? So the crew was so excited when uh, I believe it was Mike Bryan and Aaron Ehas announced this because, you know, the crew is so intimately in tune with, with the storytelling, with the designs, with the pitches, you know, you're kind of living in that world. So, so everyone winds up knowing the show very well and they generally gravitate towards a, a few different characters. But when this happened, because the storytelling kind of is so heavy and the schedule is so brutal, you know, it was this collective idea or it came from, you know, Mike and Brian and Aaron to open it up to the crew. It wasn't just production, but it was really anyone on the crew could submit stories and pitch their stories. And then it would be, you know, uh, you know, the, this this vignette episode. So um, once it was announced, everyone was just so excited. Uh, it was it was really great. And everyone had I don't know how much time we had, Katie. It was really just a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I remember it being pretty short. Yeah. I think Aaron or Mike or Brian, they had done that in another show too that they had worked on. So everyone thought it was a great idea. And I remember at the time for me, I was so excited. I actually didn't want to submit. And then one of Aaron Ehas actually was like, hey, you're funny. You know the show. You should submit something. So if I just wasn't confident enough. And if it wasn't for him giving me a push. So it kind of shows what mentors can do. And um, But yeah, yeah, this was my first time writing. Shout, Shout out Aaron to Aaron. Yes. That's so awesome. And how did you guys, did you end up, is a version of what you pitched what ended up being made? Like, did you know, Katie, were you mm -hmm. like, I definitely am going to pitch Zuko. Like, I want to do Zuko. Yes. I think I've always been drawn to Zuko and also to Zuko on dating because he's so awkward. Yes. Uh, I think maybe I, <laughs> I dated a lot of Zukos in my past and I can, <laughs> and I also am awkward on dates so I can relate to that. <laughs> well, I, I can say, Katie, that... 
I often answer when people ask me my favorite episode or my favorite moment with Zuko, this often comes out of my mouth, this this date, because it's such a departure from Zuko and the rest of the whole story. And mm-hmm. you get to just see him be like a 16, 15, 16 year old kid on a date. And and it's just refreshing. Like you remind me he's just a kid. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder, whatever happened to Jen? Mm-hmm. Zuko has to go back after his father to find out where she is. Yeah. She navigated that date very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that he's just like a fish out of water when it comes to kind of just simple things. And I definitely relate to that because I was always awkward, but he was like, she's not my girlfriend, you know, and just, yeah, it's hilarious. Well, that's one of the things that's so great mm-hmm. about it is that, you know, we have this very specific view of Zuko based on this extremely unique experience he's had as a character. But when you throw him into a dating situation, all of those things might be true and he might be awkward because of this X, Y, and Z that's different. But at the end of the day, you're like, oh, yeah, like... For her, even for Jen, like through her lens, it's like, oh, he's just an angry, angsty teen. Like, mm-hmm. been there, done that. Like, I know how to handle this it, without even needing to know the context of where he comes from. It's like, oh, you made the, f- the unfamiliar so familiar in such a mm-hmm. great way. Oh, um, thank you. Andrew, what about your Iroh tale? Yeah. So for me, I had always identified with Uncle Iroh. And. Beyond that, I was very interested in his backstory um, because the other characters are young and they have this character arc that they're going through. Whereas Uncle, his arc happened in the past. That's his backstory of how he went from a Fire Nation general to the Uncle Iroh that we know. And the event that did that, the siege of Ba Sing Se and losing his yeah. son, you know, was, was such a pivotal moment for him that that story just really really intrigued me so my pitch was um uncle helps people Ugh. and by helping people we learn about his own pain it's oh, so good so good yeah. andrew there's so many pictures i sign fan art that people bring of uncle iroh under the tree and it's almost an emotional oh. moment every time a fan comes up at a con or whatnot with the picture and we're like Really? We're going to go there right now? We're going to go there right now. And we have a moment as I'm You're going to make Dante cry. <laughs> I mean, it's so iconic. It's- well, well, Dante also, by understanding Uncle's backstory, we understand his relationship to Zuko. Of course. And yeah. why mm-hmm. he feels like he has to be such a strong mentor. So mm-hmm. because he yeah. essentially has a second chance here. Yeah. So that's kind of another piece of it. It gets heavy. Yeah. So and, and it's. It's kind of that father-son contrast to Zuko with with Ozai, the fire lord. Ozai, yeah. You know, that's kind of the bad father-son relationship. And then the uncle, Iroh, Zuko, is kind of like the the good father-son mentorship. 100%. Related to what Andrew said, I really loved when um, Zuko went on his date and uncle was sort of watching out the window like the worried father, you know, pretending not to see him. And then he did his hair before the date. So. I love their yes. relationship. Yes, bad hairdo, Uncle. Really, you gonna do me like that? Yeah, his hair did not stay like that long enough. But it's just—it really gives a window <laughs> into uh, Uncle Ira. Again, when people ask me, you know, they're like, "What would you like to see?" I'm like, "I don't know what's going on, but I would definitely love to see the Dragon of the West. I would love to see how Uncle Ira became. We all know him now as this very Zen guy, but we know like things like this, where you could see his past was filled with some pain and he has his own arc, like you said, Andrew, in the past. Love to see what that arc entails from from being him young our young Ozai up to fighting for the crown, up to where we meet him in Airbender. That's one of the things I think is so special about your tale of Iroh, Andrew, is that it's almost one of those episodes, this happens in really iconic TV shows, where you have this sort of seminal moment where you see 
a different side of a character or you see an enhanced side of a character and it makes you want to go back and start the show from the beginning and see if you can find those tinges of sadness that maybe you missed the first time around because you were just thinking of Iroh as this sort of lovable, you know, he's very zen, he loves his tea, he's kind of comic relief at times, maybe he drops a little wisdom here and there in book one. But once you know more and more, even if it's just implied, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much sadness inside him. Like, have I missed that? And you sort of want to go back and then you can kind of read that whether it's there or not. It belongs to us now. We can interpret that and go, oh, my gosh, like when he said that thing, little did I know that there was a there was a son yes. in his history that he was thinking about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, th- that's really great insight. Discovering Uncle Iroh's pain. So I, I have always related to him because I see him as a bodhisattva. Uh, you mentioned the, you know, the Zen. So Bodhisattva is a concept from Mahayana Buddhism. So in Buddhism, you start with Hinayana, your own practice, your own suffering. And as you kind of do that and make some progress along the path, you're then woken up to the suffering of others. Uh, So the Bodhisattva will then give up his or her own attainment for the benefit of all beings, and they try and help all beings. And what happens is you give up the sense of territory. And because Mm. you do that, you can then be compassionate towards others, and it's not transactional. So you see when, when uncle helps people, he's never looking for anything in return. And his compassion is, is limitless because it's coming from the universe, right? So they say that the Bodhisattva, when he performs a compassionate act, has no memory of it because there's no one there to maintain anything, right? So he has no territory to maintain. And that's, and the also, the, the other quality is humor. So the Bodhisattva does not take himself or herself that seriously. Again, they have no territory to maintain. And so I think the humor in the series um, was very much comic relief, but it was also very much based on his character. And I think that's why the writing, you know, in Avatar is so strong. There, it, no, nothing was made up. Everything was very organic. But anyway, so this bodhisattva side of him, that's generally what we see. But even if you're a bodhisattva, it doesn't mean you don't feel suffering. And I think in this instance, we got to see some of Iroh's suffering, because obviously coming back to Ba Sing Se probably triggered a lot of things for him. And I thought it was wonderful to be able to share that. You know, Iroh's strong for everyone else, but what about his pain? You know, what does that feel like? Wow. Oh I mean, Andrew dropping God. knowledge on us. I love this episode You guys, right now. he is Uncle Iroh. What is going on yes! right now? <laughs> I can't believe I haven't seen this before. Totally Uncle Iroh. <laughs> this is the moment. It's happening right now. I love that. I mean, there is no especially. Everything you said was was so perfect and so true to the story, of course, and it fits right in, of course, with everything we've talked about with Avatar in the last two seasons as well, that it does come from somewhere and that there are these, you know, timeless principles that show up over and over in the show. But I had never thought of it in terms of giving up territory. Like, that makes so much sense. And this idea that Iroh doesn't need to belong anywhere. He just needs to be of service. And, you know, he's made this commitment to his to his nephew. And I love that. The territoriality of just like, I'm going wherever you go. Like, hmm. which makes them separating so much more painful when that does happen in the show, when they are not together, when Zuko does... Yeah, I'm looking at you, Dante. When Zuko does I walk know. away, when he does deserve <laughs> he to do some road, things, tells him they gotta go their own road. Sometimes you gotta be alone. <laughs> but also, I just love how they didn't pull any punches with yeah. Iroh's tail because it's like, 
I mean, this is a cartoon in the afternoon for kids. Essentially, it's how it's yeah. kind of out there in the ether at that moment. Like, this is a kid's cartoon. And you do not see, this is like heavy drama writing backstory that you'd expect like on an evening drama show or a film. And it's remarkable how they didn't, there's no winking. There wasn't like, you know, dun, 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 none of that. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, there it is, and it and it's really beautiful, and just all these tales. It's wild when you look back now that we know the the first Airbender show, and it's kind of smack dab in the middle of the whole thing. It's nearly right in the middle, and it's everyone from the yeah. team putting these stories really together, is. and it's different perspectives of these of the whole crew, the whole main characters, including Momo. And it's wild that it's right in the middle. It's almost perfectly balanced, and then we go yeah. see what's going to happen from here. <laughs> Amazing. It's wild to look at now and see how perfectly balanced this whole yeah. thing and how Bossy can say fits in it. Such an important piece of the whole first map. Oh, for sure. And Katie, there's real profundity in your tale as well, because here we have seen several occurrences since getting to Bossing Say, and even before they got to Bossing Say, where Zuko has been very careful not to firebend. He has been mm-hmm. adamant. He is angry at his uncle for doing a little bit of firebending, trying to warm his tea. And we've mm-hmm. seen so many circumstances in which Zuko could have firebent, and we see Jet trying to egg him on and do it. Mm-hmm. And what is the thing that gets him to do it? It's... A woman, Jin. It's a date. He's <laughs> willing Jin. to take that risk. It's a you little know? flex. Which says a lot Every now and then you got to flex just a little bit. You know, totally. you can call yeah. it a flex, but I think it's showing his his openness. Like he is open mm-hmm. to receiving love, and I don't know yeah. that you get that from him much at any other time in the series up to this point. You know, you don't see that he's willing to be vulnerable because in that case. The him firebending is not just a vulnerability about getting caught in bossing say, but it's also this reciprocal measure of like, I like you. I yeah. like you. And that's mm-hmm. really scary for someone like Zuko, you know? Yeah. He's like, I'm sorry I messed up the dinner. Where's Jen at? Here's how I'll make it up. <laughs> Where's she at? Exactly. She actually does make an appearance in a later comic, I found out. Uh, really? Another comic where I wrote a date about May and Zuko, and they actually run yeah. into Jin. No. It's pretty awkward. Yeah, we, no. were we were getting to I that. have to go find that. That's yeah. cringy. Yeah. Oh. Let's talk about that. Um, we would be remiss, and I hope we're not going to spend too much time on it because we definitely want to just have you back because it deserves its whole own conversation. But Katie, you are also responsible for one of everyone's other favorite episodes of all time in Avatar, which is The Beach. Everyone, take what? a moment. Take a moment to let that sink in. <laughs> oh you also my. have the writer of the beach sitting on the podcast right Phenomenal. now. People go on and on and on, as I'm sure you know about the beach. We love the beach. So you ended up writing that, and you also ended up working on comics. Can you just tell us a little bit about that stuff briefly? Yeah, sure. Um, and so when I was the PA, shortly after that, the script coordinator got moved up and I became the script coordinator. And kind of like as soon as I was in the room, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Um, so then moving forward, I got to write The Beach. I've always had kind of a dark sensibility. I love teen angst movies. Like in eighth grade, I'd come home and watch Heathers and pump up the volume and Breakfast yes. Club. Like yes. all Christian the time. Slater fan. Shout out to yes, Christian Slater. Huge Christian Slater yes, fan. Indeed. So. I think for the beach, like I would, I love the idea of like just finding out, like you were saying with with Uncle Ira, that he's had this past trauma, and then with them, kind of understanding like that these characters, even though they're villains, there's a reason why. You know, they've been through some sort of trauma, and understanding 
who Azula is and who Zuko is and who May is. And so that was really fun. And it also was fun just seeing them, how they were at a party. And again, I related to Azula because she's so awkward and I definitely act that way. I remember I showed up at like most parties right when they start and I'm like the first one. And um, so it was fun seeing them in that sort of environment. Are you Azula, Katie? Pardon? Are you Azula? Hold on. Hold on one second. We got Iroh here. We got Azula here. Maybe we may have some May. I'm sensing some May based on everything you told us for sure, right, Katie? Mm -hmm. And then the comics. How did the comics come about? Like, did you get to pitch those stories or was that kind of a collaborative? Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, and I really love That's one cool. of the things I love about the comics, similar to this episode, uh, Tales of Bossing Say, I love just thinking about the moments that you don't see in the Avatarverse, you know, like the moments with the group. So the comics are always a great time to sort of think about like, oh, what would be these sweet or funny moments that we can sort of explore that we don't see in the series? For sure. And so that's if anybody uh, was wants to get out there and look, um, issue 13 going home again is Katie, uh, Night Animals and uh, Game Time. That's uh, issue 16 and 25, respectively. Um, go out there. You got to check those out. I'll tell you what, that we're going to see such a spike Barney, we gotta get after to... just announcing that there are three comics written by the person who wrote the beach. For anyone right. who didn't already know uh... that, spike, spike, spike in those comics. Um, and that gin comes somewhere for that weird moment. Very... I mean, Barney, we have to get to the comics. I know. We have so much <laughs> yet to cover. It's crazy. Andrew, I'm springing this on you, but you were also production manager for Avatar Super Deformed Shorts, which is something yes. that we have talked peripherally about, but we haven't like fully delved into. If we throw you on the spot and just have you explain to people who may not have Whoa. had the chance to see them. Oh, Yay! there it is! Oh. <laughs> It's a sock of bobblehead. And an Aang bobblehead. And it's and it's definitely that style of that of that yeah. little of shorts. Yeah. So what is that for anybody who doesn't know? So super deformed. You know, the guys love anime, and this is just a different style of anime. And they um, Mike and Brian would do a lot of doodles. Um, well, doodles. They would character design during meetings. They would listen, <laughs> yeah. but they would always be drawing. And so it 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 kind of became, I think, a fun little project for them. And then finally they I think decided, all right, well, let's do something with this. Let's make a short. And I think production was like, okay, these episodes are really hard. And now <laughs> we're just gonna make some extra shorts. And then I think we said, okay. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones that also involve like, do we see young them as well? Like the ones where we see like them in a, a classroom and stuff. So um, if you have not seen that, folks, you got to trove through the Internet. See if you can get a hold of those. They are out there. Um, they are so funny and so good and such a wonderful little aside to the series, like chibi kind of style yes, it's just, so, there, there were some so t-shirts cute. too i had a t-shirt that was a nickelodeon at one of the comic cons one year that we had and it was like my favorite t-shirt mm-hmm. ever yeah the best okay dante want to take him through some of our biggie questions yes so our big questions as we ask all of our guests here on braving the elements first and foremost what's your favorite hybrid animal in the avatar verse um i love the platypus bear do you remember Yay! that episode of course. Katie? i forgot of course. Mm-hmm. John O'Brien. 
Yeah. John, we talked to him about it. Oh, really? You talked to him? Really? <laughs> we had John on, yeah, last season and talked about the platypus bear. And World famous yeah, I think he described bear. it. Wasn't that Dante? When he was like, everyone was coming in with ideas and that he came in and like uncrumpled a piece of paper yes. and was like, uh, platypus bear? <laughs> Where everyone else had like actual like. And they put it on the board. <laughs> That's yes, yeah, something should not go together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very much so. Katie, what about you? you My favorite? favorite is the koala otter. I, I thought that was the cutest thing I've ever seen. Otter. We don't give enough love. I also like the uh, the rabaroo. Oh, yeah, rab- rabaroo. oh, sorry. Rabaroo. Rabbit kangaroo. The- Specifically, the the babies that were in the pouch were the cutest things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) You pulled a couple of rare gems that I do not feel get their due. I mean, those are rare finds in the Avatar verse. So cute. (laughs) Um, What about ships? We all know how controversial relationship questions are in the Avatar verse and beyond. You know, Katie has some ships up her (laughs) sheets. I'm all about Zutara. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Zutara hey. Yep. Yep. Love Could it. Could not be less surprised and excited. And you know what? I'm going to say it doesn't even have to be romance. Like, it could just be a relationship between, like, friends or family members. So, Andrew, what about you? You know, I, I really do like the Uncle Iroh Zuko relationship, but also yes. uh, Katara Saka. The brother-sister dynamic, I thought, was had a lot of good tension. And, you know, it's funny when you love your sibling, there's just something about that relationship that is just so powerful that that really doesn't have any other equivalent. And I thought because they were so close and had gone through so much that that I always found it very special. There is something wonderful about that. Again, it kind of goes to what we were saying earlier about the date, um, Katie, is, you know, just that idea of like, seeing a a family dynamic in or a relationship dynamic in extraordinary circumstances that you still are reminded. And that's what grounds us, right? That's part of why we invest and we have that suspension of disbelief. And in fact, believe that we are there in the world with these characters is those touches, Mm -hmm. like seeing Katara and Sokka be brother and sister, seeing them give each other crap and seeing Mm -hmm. them forgive each other and seeing how fiercely loyal they ultimately are to each other. Um, It's so important. And it's you're so right, Andrew. It's so well done. Um, All right. That brings us to the biggest and the final Dante, my friend. Well, I guess we'll start with Katie. Katie, in the Avatar verse if you can be a bender, what kind of bender would you be? Airbender all the way. Airbender. Okay. Oh, wow. That, I wasn't expecting that. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I do change my my mind from time to time, but today it's airbender. Beautiful. Okay. All right. The Zuko in Dante is feeling like a lot of he fire was maybe on his way to seeing a firebender. We don't know. We still have Andrew. Andrew? I would very much be an airbender as oh, well. Wow, this is an airbender panel here this is how you keep your head straight in production i've been practicing kind of tibetan buddhism for i don't know 30 years now and and the air temples and a lot of kind of the airbenders were very much based on you know that kind of tibetan monastery culture so from the beginning i just very much could relate to it although fire would be number two Mm -hmm. i really love the northern shaolin kung fu that Chifu Kisu yes. used as the base for the firebending. And just, you know, those stances and that power that comes from that, I, I think was actually the coolest bending that we had because it was it was very much coming from that Northern Shaolin style, which, yes. you know, kind of had that, that type of energy. 
Do you agree, Dante? And depicted so well. Again, traveling around the world and fans of the show that approach me that are martial artists will come to me and, and explain to me, you know, whether they do Shaolin or Tai Chi, different things that are happening in Avatar and the detail that all the artists and Mike and Brian, the research to put into it, they were like, I can't believe you, they were doing forms that I know that I saw hand movements. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's Mike Brian, Sifu Kisu, that's Sifu Manny. That's like, I, it's, uh, they really yeah. went in and they really were detailed. So it's so beautifully done. And, and again, as another layer of just beautifulness and power in this whole show. It's amazing how much research and um, went into like the Kung Fu. And I just remembered a story, actually, the first week I started, we had an all Avatar crew Kung Fu class in the Nickelodeon courtyard. Wow. And it was amazing with Sifu Kisu. And I kind of felt like the bad new despairs because we're all like standing there awkwardly. (laughs) But it was super fun just to like, I mean, to do things like that on a crew is amazing just to be able to like experience, to learn more about it. and Yeah, to feel what it's like to be in your body trying to yes. make those movements happen. That's so amazing. Wait, Andrew, were you there for that? Were you, were you comfortable? Yeah, I was about to say, I was in the courtyard. I was there. <laughs> and I think there was more than one. Yes. Right? We, we did mm-hmm. it for a while. And then I actually went to Sifukisu's class. He, he would, I mean, he had a lot of students. So um, In the park. In the park. I was there too. Yeah. I think it was one of those things that we wanted to be with Sifu Kisu. We're doing these movements. We're playing these characters. It's one of those things that I think Mike and Brian want us to also feel some of the things that we were doing that would somehow make its way into the character and make it into to what we are doing, which was brilliant and hanging out with Kisu and, and all the students and studying some of that was really, really wonderful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the elements are real and these martial arts styles are real. And, you know, you're right when you as a character kind of really tune into, you know, what is the foundation of this type of bending? Where does it come from? How does it work? And that kind of authenticity really, really comes out uh, on screen. I mean, Sifu Kisu, he knew so many different styles and he would show up with swords or this or that. And (laughs) you wouldn't kind of know how to do it. He would he had mastered everything. You know, it was really quite amazing to. Katie, you wound up recording a lot of those sessions, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I think toward the end, I, I I think I was the last remaining employee on Avatar. So they were like, who wants to do this? Who wants to? I was like, I'll do it. Uh, who wants to do the Halloween decorations? So, yeah, I actually recorded some of the last sessions. That's very cool. That was super fun. That's so cool. I got to ask you guys one thing about Zuko's tale. I just came to my mind. Because I remember that Zuko and Jin kiss, right? Yes. What? Yeah. I mean, that also uh, was like, wow, hold on. You don't What's see a ton on? of kissing on Avatar. You don't see a point. ton yes. of kissing on Avatar. It was surprising the first time I saw it when I rewatched the episode recently, getting prepared for this conversation. I also, again, was uh, surprised. Was there anything, any conversation about that going on? Because that's like, whoa, Great hold question. on a second. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think it was like got the green light from the beginning. I was like, you know what? Zuko's a teenager. He's met someone who seems cool. Let's just go for it. They're in the perfect atmosphere with the fire lanterns. Where's Jen at? Where is she? I can't wait to read this comment. (laughs) You're going to be talking about Jen as much as you talk about Jet. This is very exciting. Uh, Andrew, I just wanted to say, too, before we let you go, that I feel like the thing that you've also brought to this conversation in 
identifying as an airbender is reminding us how much like an airbender Iroh is, which is something that I think can't be emphasized enough, especially when we get these little tastes of that when Iroh is seeing things that you don't think he should be seeing. He seems to see things in the spirit world. And, you know, the moment where we see him see Appa and Appa's lost days and it's like, oh, he saw him and he didn't say anything. This is not about Zuko. This is about whatever Appa's going through. And so you really help to kind of cement that relationship between the airbender and Iroh and kind of the way he lives his life. So Dante, when you really think about it, there was no way Andrew was going to pick Firebender. He was going to pick Airbender <laughs> with a side of fire. Varney, it was second. You hear me said yeah. it, was, it was second. And I'm all right about there. that. But it, it just <laughs> makes so much sense. You guys, this has been the blast and delight that we both knew it would be. And I feel like we 100% just got a bunch of behind the scenes info, right, D? Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, you know, this, yeah. this is so fantastic. Just the fact that you're doing these podcasts and people can talk about these episodes. You know, again, the authenticity of the storytelling is just so rich that I'm not surprised it's one of Netflix's highest rated uh, animated series because it's not just entertainment. These are great stories with great characters Mm -hmm. that have all these real aspects to it that just continues to resonate. And I think with Avatar Studios, just to give a little plug, it's so nice to have Mike and Brian back in the studio and Avatar Studios and everything that they're planning. And and those guys, you know, never try and repeat themselves. So I Mm -hmm. I know whatever they're going to be doing is going to be so exciting for fans. It's just so cool to have the Avatar verse now as something we have. And just thank you guys again. And I said it to other guests before, but it's, you know, it's a very rare opportunity for us. We're all move on to the next projects and the next projects. And it's very rare for us to go back and get to really, Rewatch, relive, hang out with other people that did it with us years ago, and especially with 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 cats like you that we don't we didn't get across paths as much in those days. And for us to talk about these episodes that we all worked on together somehow, mm-hmm. it's really a very unique experience. And and thank you guys so much for joining us. It's yeah, thanks thank again. Having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Now, do either of you have projects or social media platforms uh, people should look out for? You know, I don't really have a social media presence, but I've been working. Uh, I'm a guitar player, and I've been working on on new songs. So oh, wow. uh, I, I might, you know, rather than just Spotify, having a website. Yeah. So oh, that'll wow. eventually come up. Uncle Iroh, oh sounding very <laughs> Uncle Iroh here. Yeah, the name of the band is called Iroh. Iroh, but Katie, <laughs> tell us about your online presence. I'm on the Instagram, but that's about it. I'm trying to not do too much because just to be, you know, but yeah, Instagram. You're getting your work done and then you're popping in on Instagram from time to time. We love it. We love it. Where can they find you on Instagram? Uh, Just Katie Matilla. Perfect. Katie Matilla at Instagram. Love it. Yes. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. Awesome conversation. Great. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Avatar Braving the Elements. And hey, make sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a review. All of that really helps the podcast so much. And we love you guys. Next week, we'll be sobbing our way through Appa's Lost Days with the return of the wonderful Ivana Lynch. You can follow me on social media at the JV Club on Instagram and at Janet Varney on Twitter. And I'm at Dante Bosco on both of those. We'll see you next Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.